Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, November 19th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the Israel Bible for the Hebrew Scriptures and from the King James for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Vayetzi, and it means, And he went out. Genesis 28, 10-22 Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and laid down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. 
I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is! It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Ezekiel 39, 1-40-27 Son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the Sovereign Lord. I am your enemy, O Gog, ruler of the nations of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drive you toward the mountains of Israel, bringing you from the distant north. I will knock the bow from your left hand and the arrows from your right hand, and I will leave you helpless. You and your army and your allies will all die on the mountains. I will feed you to the vultures and wild animals. You will fall in the open fields, for I have spoken, says the Sovereign Lord. And I will rain down fire on Magog and on all your allies who live safely on the coasts. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In this way I will make known my holy name among my people of Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on it, and the nations too will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. That day of judgment will come, says the Sovereign Lord. Everything will happen just as I have declared it. Then the people in the towns of Israel will go out and pick up your small and large shields, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will use them for fuel. There will be enough to last them for seven years. They won't need to cut wood from the fields or forests, for these weapons will give them all the fuel they need. They will plunder those who planned to plunder them, and they will rob those who planned to rob them, says the Sovereign Lord. And I will make a vast graveyard for Gog and his hordes in the valley of the travelers east of the Dead Sea, It will block the way of those who travel there, and they will change the name of the place to the Valley of Gog's Hordes. It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. Everyone in Israel will help, for it will be a glorious victory for Israel when I demonstrate my glory on that day, says the Sovereign Lord. After seven months, Teams of men will be appointed to search the land for skeletons to bury, so the land will be made clean again. Whenever bones are found, a marker will be set up so the burial crews will take them 
to be buried in the valley of Gog's hordes. There will be a town there named Hamona, which means horde, and so the land will finally be cleansed. And now, son of man, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Call all the birds and wild animals. Say to them, Gather together from my great sacrificial feast. Come from far and near to the mountains of Israel, and there eat flesh and drink blood. Eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all fattened animals from Bashan. Gorge yourselves with flesh until you are glutted. Drink blood until you are drunk. This is the sacrificial feast I have prepared for you. Feast at my banquet table. Feast on horses and chariots, on mighty men and all kinds of valiant warriors, says the Sovereign Lord. In this way, I will demonstrate my glory to the nations. Everyone will see the punishment I have inflicted on them and the power of my fist when I strike. And from that time on, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin, for they were unfaithful to their God. Therefore I turned away from them and let their enemies destroy them. I turned my face away and punished them because of their defilement and their sins. So now, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my face from them, for I will pour out my Spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. On April 28th, during the 25th year of our captivity, 14 years after the fall of Jerusalem, the Lord took hold of me. In a vision from God, He took me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain. From there, I could see toward the south what appeared to be a city. As He brought me nearer, I saw a man whose face shone like bronze, standing beside a gateway entrance. He was holding in his hand a linen measuring cord and a measuring rod. He said to me, Son of man, watch and listen. Pay close attention to everything I show you. You have been brought here so I can show you many things. Then you will return to the people of Israel and tell them everything you have seen. I could see a wall completely surrounding the temple area. 
The man took a measuring rod that was a ten and a half feet long and measured the wall, and the wall was ten and a half feet thick and ten and a half feet high. Then he went over to the eastern gateway. He climbed the steps and measured the threshold of the gateway. It was ten and a half feet front to back. There were guard alcoves on each side built into the gateway passage. Each of these alcoves was ten and a half feet square with a distance between them of eight and a quarter feet along the passage wall. The gateway's inner threshold, which led to the entry room, at the inner end of the gateway passage was ten and a half feet front to back. He also measured the entry room of the gateway. It was fourteen feet across, with supporting columns three and a half feet thick. This entry room was at the inner end of the gateway structure facing toward the temple. There were three guard alcoves on each side of the gateway passage. Each had the same measurements, and the dividing walls separating them were also identical. The man measured the gateway entrance, which was seventeen and a half feet wide at the opening and twenty-two and three-quarters feet wide in the gateway passage. In front of each of the guard alcoves was a twenty-one-inch curb. The alcoves themselves were ten and a half feet on each side. Then he measured the entire width of the gateway, measuring the distance between the back walls of facing guard alcoves. This distance was forty-three and three-quarters feet. He measured the dividing walls all along the inside of the gateway up to the entry room of the gateway. This distance was a hundred and five feet. The full length of the gateway passage was eighty-seven and a half feet from one end to the other. There were recessed windows that narrowed inward through the walls of the guard alcoves and their dividing walls. There were also windows in the entry room. The surfaces of the dividing walls were decorated with carved palm trees. Then the man brought me through the gateway into the outer courtyard of the temple. A stone pavement ran along the walls of the courtyard, and thirty rooms were built against the walls, opening onto the pavement. This pavement flanked the gates and extended out from the walls into the courtyard, the same distance as the gateway entrance. This was the lower pavement. Then the man measured across the temple's outer courtyard between the outer and inner gateways. The distance was 175 feet. The man measured the gateway on the north, just like the one on the east. Here, too, there were three guard alcoves on each side with dividing walls and an entry room. All the measurements matched those of the east gateway. The gateway passage was 87 and a half feet long and 43 and three-quarter feet wide between the back walls of the facing guard alcoves. The windows, the entry room, and the palm tree decorations were identical to those in the east gateway. There were seven steps leading up to the gateway entrance, and the entry room was at the inner end of the gateway passage. Here on the north side, just as on the east, there was another gateway leading to the temple's inner courtyard directly opposite this outer gateway. The distance between the two gateways was 175 feet. Then the man 
took me around to the south gateway and measured its various parts, and they were exactly the same as in the others. It had windows along the walls, as the others did, and there was an entry room where the gateway passage opened into the outer courtyard. And like the others, the gateway passage was 87 and a half feet long and 43 and three-quarter feet wide between the back walls of the facing guard alcoves. This gateway also had a stairway of seven steps leading up to it and an entry room at the inner end and palm tree decorations along the dividing walls. And here again, directly opposite the outer gateway, was another gateway that led into the inner courtyard. The distance between the two gateways was 175 feet. James 2, 18-318 Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I, James, say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and favor, Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so, 
blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous, and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting, and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle, at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Psalm 118, 1-18 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Proverbs 28.2 When there is moral rot within a nation, 
its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. I want to speak to you today from Ezekiel chapter 39, and then we're going to look at Psalm 118. And this chapter is describing a massive war that takes place against Israel from her enemies. Those enemies are named in Ezekiel chapter 38, and I'm not going to go into that so much. It's a group of nations, a coalition of nations from the north, very likely including Russia, Iran, Syria, Turkey, and and perhaps a few others. But they come down because they want to take some spoil, and they they talk about, you know, let's go down to this land of unwalled villages. And so both chapter 38 and 39 talk about this battle. So we're going to look into chapter 39 today. And so um, the Lord is talking about how he's going to uh, intervene in a quite miraculous, supernatural way. And he's going to rain down fire and brimstone upon Israel. Israel will be completely alone. The U.S. is not mentioned. No other nation is mentioned that tries to come to her rescue. So Israel will not be able to lean on or depend upon the military might of the USA, as she is right now. Um, She'll be isolated and alone, and this is why, against all odds, God himself is going to show up, and he's going to deal with Israel's enemies. So let me just share some of this chapter with you, starting in verse 25. So now this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. Now, I'm going to pause right there. There are layers to interpretation or understanding what this is talking about. Scripture can be fulfilled, and it can be fulfilled again later, and it can be fulfilled again later. Um, It can happen historically, and then it can happen again in the future. And so, in one way, this scripture has been partially fulfilled in that once the state of Israel was established in May of 1948, there was a safe place for the Jewish people to go to that they could call it their homeland because there was such intense persecution, especially during World War II, during the Shoah, the Holocaust, and six million Jews were exterminated by the evil Nazis, and they needed a place to go to call home. There's no country on earth where a Jew is safe except in Israel. And we see that now more than ever because we, we are seeing a huge spike in anti-Semitism in Jew hatred all over the world. In fact, there was a pro-Israel rally about a week ago down in the L.A. region, and there was pro-Hamas supporters across the street. And this one elderly Jewish man, 69 years old, had a a sign up, and then a guy from the pro-Hamas side with a megaphone, an actual college professor, attacked him and hit him on the head with the megaphone. The man fell to the pavement, and he died from his injuries. 
and no one to this date has been arrested. It is outrageous. It happened in plain sight. There were eyewitnesses, and no one, the guy who hit him with the megaphone, has not been arrested or charged. So it's not safe. A woman, a a Jewish woman, was murdered and stabbed to death in Michigan. Um, Another person in France, a Jewish person, was, I mean, there's all, and it's not just the painting of swastikas and all the pro-Hamas rallies where they're screaming from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which basically what that is, what it means is they're calling for the genocide of the Jewish people. They all got to be dead. And then there will be no more Israel. That's what that saying is about. Um, it's not just words. It's it's becoming hateful a- actions. So this war, Israel is on the front lines of the war. And it's it's not just about what's happening over there in Israel, because this is affecting the entire globe. So coming back to Ezekiel 39, verse 26 They shall come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God, because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind, and I will never again turn my face from them. So this has been partially fulfilled with the establishment of the state of Israel so that there's a place for Jews to go to. But it's going to be fulfilled again in a deeper, higher way. Because back in verse 25, I will have mercy on all Israel. What does that mean? Let me decode those words. All Israel, the whole house of Israel, there's two parts to the family. There's the Jewish side, the southern kingdom, Judah, and there's the northern kingdom, the non-Jewish side. That's the rest of us. All of us who love the God of Israel, who love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who love Israel, who love the Jewish people, who love the Torah, we're one family. And though we've been divided, over the centuries because of many, many um, Christian forefathers that sinned against the Jewish people. And there were persecutions and pogroms and the Crusades and the Holocaust. That breach is in the process of being healed through repentance, through humility and humbling ourselves. And truly the two sticks are becoming more and more one. So there's two sides to the family, the Jewish side and the Christian side. And there's a time coming when I believe there's a greater exodus to come. And all of the us who love the God of Israel, who love his people, his land and his book, he's going to make a way for us to return home to Israel. Because more and more, the Islamic radical Islamist call is first they're going to go after the Saturday people. That would be your Jews and your Messianics. And then we'll go after the Sunday people. And that would be the Christians. So, um, continuing on, God is going to intervene. He's going to rain down uh, fire and brimstone. And he's going to miraculously deliver Israel from this tremendous 
threat, military threat that happens in Ezekiel chapter 39. Now I want to jump into Psalm One hundred and eighteen, and there were some verses there that really jumped out at me. That I thought we could actually pray as a prayer for Israel right now. It just seemed so relevant. And I'll start in verse eight. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people, and it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Now here's the prayer part. So Father, we're going to read these verses as a prayer over the nation and people of Israel right now. Though hostile nations surrounded me, that is Israel, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. So Father, we pray that the IDF soldiers that are out in harm's way fighting in the battle that they will be able to destroy their enemies with the authority of the Lord. We pray for the uh, war cabinet, for Bibi Netanyahu and for the, for Gallant and for Ben Gavir and for all those that are on the war cabinet, that they will be able to destroy the enemies, the hostile nations, with the authority of the Lord. Verse 11, Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. May they have the authority of the Lord behind them, on them, in them, and with them uh, as they fight this war with Hamas, with these ISIS butchers, these Nazi killers, these murderers. Verse 12, They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire. But I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. So we praise you, Father, that you're going to be with Israel, with the Jewish people, with the IDF soldiers, with the political leaders, as they are dealing with this war, with these bees that are buzzing around them, that that want to kill them, that want to, the Jews just want to live in peace and live their lives. They want peace, but Hamas, they want war. They want war, so they're going to get one. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. Father, I thank you that there were survivors from this horrible Holocaust 2.0 attack that occurred on October the 7th, this massacre. There were those who survived, who escaped, who lived to tell their story. And thank you, Father, that you had your hand upon them and you've protected them. And and Father, I pray that those that have had to... um, be evacuated and leave. Over 250,000 Jews have had to leave uh, in the northern region on the border to Lebanon and on the southern region on the border to Gaza and are staying in hotels and staying in government housing and staying in different places, but that their resolve is we will return and we will rebuild and we will be even stronger, even stronger. So, Father, thank you for that resolve. Thank you, Father. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Let that be the heart and the prayer and the song in the hearts of the IDF soldiers as they fight this war and those um, supporting them, uh, those operating behind them. Let that be their prayer, is that the Lord is their strength and their song. And may you, Father God, give them victory. Father, may the strong right arm 
of the Lord do glorious things in these days in Israel. We thank you, Father. We bless you. We praise you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Adonai Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Yisa Adonai Anav Eleka Vayaseh Leka Leka The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26 Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. <laughs>